the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the intimate friendship of the Holy Spirit be with you. Whether you're listening from far away or next to beautiful Seneca Lake, we hope that through the reading and proclaiming of Scripture, you hear God's wisdom, challenge, and blessing for you today. If you're able to worship with us on Sunday mornings at 9.30, we at Hector Presbyterian Church would love to share Christ's peace with you. As we prepare to hear the scriptures, let us pray. God, our helper, by your Holy Spirit, open our minds that as the scriptures are read and your word is proclaimed, we may be led into your truth and taught your will for the sake of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. A reading from the second book of Kings. Listen for God's word to you. Aram's king was fighting against Israel. He took counsel with his officers, saying, I'll camp at such and such a place. The man of God sent word to Israel's king, Beware of passing by this place, because the Arameans are going down there. Then Israel's king sent word to the place the man of God had mentioned to him. Time after time, Elisha warned the king, and the king stayed on the alert. Aram's king was extremely upset about this. He he called his officers and said to them, Tell me, who among us is siding with Israel's king? One of his officers said, No one, your majesty. It's Elisha, the Israelite prophet, who tells Israel's king the words that you speak in the privacy of your bedroom. The king said, Go and find out where he is. Then I will send men in to capture him. They told him, he's in Dotham. So the king sent horses and chariots there with a strong army. They came at night and surrounded the city. Elisha's servant got up early and went out. He saw an army with horses and chariots surrounding the city. Elisha's servant said to him, oh no, master, what will we do? Don't be afraid, Elisha said, because there are more of us than there are of them. Then Elisha prayed, Lord, please open his eyes that he may see. Then the Lord opened the servant's eyes, and he saw that the mountain was full of horses, and fiery chariots surrounded Elisha. The Arameans came toward him. So Elisha prayed to the Lord, Strike this nation with blindness. And the Lord struck them blind, just as Elisha had asked. Elisha said to them, This isn't the right road or the right city. Follow me, and I'll lead you to the man you are looking for. But he took them to Samaria. When they arrived in Samaria, Elisha said, Lord, open the eyes of these men so they can see. The Lord opened their eyes, and they saw that they were right in the middle of Samaria. 
When Israel's king saw them, he said to Elisha, Should I kill them, my father? Should I? Elisha said, No, don't kill them. Did you capture them with your own sword or bow? Do you have the right to kill them? Put food and water in front of them so they can eat and drink and return to their master. So the king gave them a great feast, and they ate and drank. Then the king let them go, and they returned to their master. After that, Aramean raiding parties didn't come into Israel anymore. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Our second reading comes to us from the Gospel of Matthew. Listen for the word that began creation. Jesus said to his disciples, You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you that you must not oppose those who want to hurt you. If people slap you on your right cheek, you must turn the left cheek to them as well. When they wish to haul you to court and take your shirt, let them have your coat, too. When they force you to go one mile, go with them, too. Give to those who ask, and don't refuse those who wish to borrow from you. You have heard that it was said, You must love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who harass you so that you will be acting as children of your Father who is in heaven. God makes the sun rise on both the evil and the good and sends rain on both the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love only those who love you, what reward do you have? Don't even tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers and sisters, what more are you doing? Don't even Gentiles do the same? Therefore, just as your heavenly Father is complete in showing love to everyone, so also you must be complete. The word of the Lord. It isn't often that scripture comes up in the news. So when it does, preachers pay attention. Just last week at the National Prayer Breakfast, Arthur Brooks addressed a multi-faith and bipartisan crowd about what he calls a crisis of contempt in our nation. In politics today, he said, we treat each other as worthless which is why our fights are so bitter and cooperation feels nearly impossible. For an out-of-the-box solution, Brooks drew from his Catholic faith and offered the teaching of Jesus that we heard today. Love your enemies and pray for people who harass you. Following this brief speech, 
the President of the United States addressed the gathering. And whichever way you feel about Donald Trump, the President spoke for all of us in his offhand comment to Brooks. Arthur, I don't know if I agree with you. Because we are not primed to love our enemies, Brooks even admitted that to do so meant to go against human nature. We inherit from aeons of evolution a cluster of neurons the size of an almond in our brains, the amygdala, which triggers the fight or flight reaction when we are under stress. Moreover, in this society, we are indoctrinated into zero-sum thinking. There is only so much to go around, and we're all competing for a slice of the pie. An eye for an eye makes some kind of sense to us, even if it means that the whole world will go blind. Although there is no evidence that this commandment in the Torah, an eye for an eye, was followed in Israel, in fact, we have written opinions from the rabbis against putting this principle in practice, the leap from proportional justice to disproportional love for enemies must have sounded strange to the disciples, stranger than blessing the poor and humiliated, stranger than being called salt and light, stranger than the -the over-the-top command to tear out your eye if it causes you to sin. Stranger than all of these is the teaching to love our enemies. Jesus' words might land oddly on your ears because you have worked hard not to make enemies in your life. You might nod your head when Paul writes in Romans, as far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. But even Paul, a master of compromise, doesn't say peace depends solely on you. There's an invitation here for those of us who have an allergic reaction to conflict to take a risk standing up for what we believe, especially if we are standing up to people with whom we agree on behalf of people with whom we do not. Or perhaps it sounds odd to you for Jesus, who was no pushover, to tell you not to oppose those who want to hurt you and to offer your other cheek for another slap to the face. Really, Jesus, you want me to give in to bullies to show my belly at the dog park? Walter Wink was a biblical scholar who believed strongly that Jesus' instructions to turn the other cheek, to hand over your clothes, to go the extra mile, were all meant to shame bullies. He called this plan of action Jesus' third way, a path to seize moral initiative and to show your enemies that their bullying can't break you. 
It's an intriguing idea. But I'm stuck on something else that Wink wrote. The word that our Bibles translate as oppose or resist, as in do not resist evildoers, literally means stand against, as in take a fighting stance, as in march into battle. When I hear Jesus say, you must not oppose, that is, you must not go to war against those who want to hurt you, my amygdala protests. What am I supposed to do when I feel like I'm under attack? Brooks is right, I think, about our political fights being bitter and contemptuous, no matter where each of us is politically, our positions are under attack. Under attack from the president or from Congress, under attack in the media, on Facebook, or for the brave, Twitter. Our brains were built to speed dial adrenaline to course through our bodies, to put up a fight or to flee for safety. When it feels like we're under attack, what are we supposed to do, Jesus? And Jesus, who came to fulfill the Torah and the prophets, points us to the prophet Elisha, who in turn prays for us, open their eyes that they may see. What did the prophet's servant see when he looked around? The Aramean army, yes, with horses and chariots surrounding the city. But he also saw another army on the mountainside, one with chariots of fire. And folks, if you remember how the prophet Elijah left this world, well then, you know who is commanding those fiery chariots. It is none other than the Holy One of Israel. In that instant, Elisha's servant sees what he could not see a moment ago, that God is with them and that God will fight for them. And that frees Elisha and his servant from the burden of needing to take up arms themselves. All throughout scripture, we can trace a thread of tradition that insists that violence belongs to God alone. In Deuteronomy, the Lord claims, vengeance is mine. The day of their destruction is just around the corner. Their final destiny is speeding on its way. The Psalms seethe with anger but channel those feelings of hurt and rage into prayer instead of harmful acts. The book of Revelation, we know, is over-the-top violent, but it is God's violence. The saints are nonviolent martyrs. They are witnesses that God's justice will prevail in the end. This story in the life of Elisha belongs to this tradition, 
Trust that God is fighting for you. And let that faith free you to think outside the box. Can you imagine what the story would sound like if it happened today? Picture this. In a not-too-distant future, Iran's government develops a nuclear warhead. U.S. intelligence catches wind of the threat, and a special operation is deployed to Iran to take out a top general who might give the command. They meet up with a liaison, and suddenly, their minds go blank. Modern-day Elisha says, oh yeah, I'll take you to the general, but for reasons uh, unknown, the U.S. forces don't recognize where they are or with whom they're dealing. It's not until the Lord opens their eyes at Elisha's request that they realize with a panic that they're in the middle of Tehran, surrounded by the Iranian army. Should I kill them? Should I kill them? That top general asks Elisha. And that's when what is supposed to happen, a bloody massacre, triggering an international outrage and mutual annihilation, takes an unexpected turn. Elisha flips the script on its head, saying, no, don't kill them. Instead, put food and water in front of them so that they can eat and drink and return to Washington, D.C. Food and water? The Iranians go the extra mile. They lay out a feast, chicken kebab and lamb meatballs, grilled vegetables and stuffed grape leaves, saffron rice pudding and syrupy dates, a smorgasbord of Persian cuisine spread for the U.S. Special Forces. Everyone eats their fill. Everyone goes home. Crisis averted, conflict diffused, no fighting needed. Can you imagine your enemies throwing a party for you? Republicans catering the DNC's national convention, Democrats building a lavish buffet for the GOP. Can you imagine? Remember Paul urging us to live peaceably with one another? That's just a sound bite. Here's a fuller clip from his letter to the Romans. Do not repay anyone evil for evil, but take thought for what is noble in the sight of all. If it is possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave room for the wrath of God, for it is written, here's Deuteronomy, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. No. And here Paul quotes Proverbs. If your enemies are hungry, feed them. If they are thirsty, give them something to drink. 
For by doing this, you will heap burning coals on their heads. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Overcome evil with good, Paul writes, trusting that the source of all goodness and the model of all goodness is the good Lord, whose love is loyal, whose faithfulness is from generation to generation. Overcome evil with good, trusting that God will mete out justice and destroy evil decisively when time comes to an end. Overcome evil with good sisters and brothers, following the way of Jesus, who on the cross prayed for his murderers. Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they are doing. Beloved of the Lord, do you see what Elisha's servant saw? God is with us, fighting for the good. Do you remember what South African Archbishop Desmond Tutu said? Victory is ours through God who loves us. Because we are victorious in God's love, Tutu could say, goodness is stronger than evil. Love is stronger than hatred. Life is stronger than death. Even when we struggle to love our enemies, especially when we catch ourselves in the struggle, we are victorious through God's love. Even when we are not perfect, not yet complete in our love, we are victorious through God's love. Imagine the feast spread before you on your enemy's dining room table. Imagine the feast you might spread for your enemies in your home. Imagine these things knowing that Jesus has invited you to his table time and time again to share with you the bread and cup of his very self, body and blood. At that table, we taste the victory won for us through the love of God. May we taste this victory in our ordinary meals. May we hear the victory strains rising above contempt. May we see that victory reflected in the shared work of service to which God calls neighbors of every political party, neighbors of every creed and cash flow. May we overcome evil with the same grace we have received from the Holy One, our Savior and Redeemer. For such grace, let us give God all our gratitude and glory. God, the eternal voice from heaven, the anointed and beloved one, the spirit moving over the waters. Amen.